0: I feel like a lot of people are not quarantining due to not knowing what the results are.
1: CBS Health tells Contact 6 under current demand, it may take at least five to seven days for people to receive the results. It has been 15 days. For 60 days, the state banned landlords from filing evictions for non-payment of rent. But rent came due when the ban expired May 27th.
0: A lot of people kind of either confused it or saw it as an opportunity, just not pay.
1: Housing stability has only become worse for families in Milwaukee and statewide.
0: Spirits would be number one, wine would be number two, and beer would be number three.
1: Stores like Otto's have been making holiday-like sales since March.
0: It's been wild for the for the whole industry, really. It's
1: almost a mini holiday
2: every week.
0: COVID-19 testing delays, a looming surge in evictions, and drinking at home, why alcohol sales this year are through the roof. Contact Six's Jenna Sachs is back for another edition of Open Record. From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson here with my colleague Amanda St. Hilaire. Good morning, Amanda.
2: Hi, Brian. We are recording this episode on Wednesday, July 22nd for release on Thursday, July 23rd. And we are having a great morning because we're joined by our good friend, Contact 6 reporter, Jenna Sachs. Hi, Jenna. Good morning. We
1: miss you. Oh, thank you. I miss seeing you guys every day, too.
2: For our longtime listeners, they know exactly what you do, what Contact 6 is. But for people who might be listening for the first time or haven't been tuned in since you were last on, what is Contact 6 and why is that so important to what we do here at Fox 6?
1: Contact 6 is Fox Six's flagship consumer brand. We've had it around at our station for decades, more than 40 years, and a lot of what we do is responding to complaints filed with our segment about area businesses, and then we try to help people resolve their issues either on air or off air. A lot of the work ends up being off air, but we also do some bigger consumer pieces that affect other people uh, across the area, not just the people who file complaints, and that's a lot of what we're talking about today. And you've been extra busy since the pandemic hit. We have been getting many more complaints than we typically get this time of year. Usually the summer is kind of a dip in our complaints. We see things pick up in the fall when contractors aren't finishing work or, you know, people start to realize that, you know, some of the work they had planned isn't going to get done. But we've had consistently a lot of complaints all summer long.
0: And we won't even get into the logistics of trying to manage those complaints from home and access the systems you need to. I know technology can always be a challenge when we're dealing with working from home and and, and adjusting to a new way of doing things. But you've been getting a lot of complaints, I understand, about the first topic we're going to discuss today, delays in COVID-19 testing. People are going to find out, do I have COVID-19? And then they're waiting for a long time to get the results.
1: That's true. So this story started when I was contacted by a woman named Penny Miller who lives in the Kenosha area and she went to a CVS to get tested after she had been experiencing some symptoms and her doctor recommended it. And she contacted us after it had already been two weeks since she had been tested and she hadn't gotten the results. And she also referred us to her nephew and his girlfriend who had also been waiting more than two weeks for the results of their tests. and this had major implications on their lives because none of them could go to work and two of them were not paid for the entire time they were out of work So we looked into what was happening, and what we found when we spoke with CVS Health is that there is a nationwide demand for COVID-19 tests. The demand is soaring, and that's led to a delay with its lab partners. Most of them are located out of state, resulting in backlogs. And they tell people when they get these tests, or they were when Penny got them, that it would be about two to four days. Now it ended up being 16 days, maybe 17 days before Penny was able to get results and we helped her to get them. So who knows how long it would have been if we hadn't stepped in. And now CVS Health is saying, you know, it may take at least five to seven days and so we spoke with the Department of Health Services in Wisconsin. They acknowledged this issue. They said people should ask, are my test results being shipped out of state? This is an issue for major pharmacies like CVS, Walgreens, Walmart, that rely on these labs out of state. And DHS said, you know, it's best to go to these state-run test sites because our turnaround time is less. But as we know, demand is increasing in Wisconsin for these tests as well. So I think this is going to be a continuing issue that turnaround times are not as quick as they would like them to be. There are differences for people who have severe symptoms or who are hospitalized, their test results might be prioritized, but for other people, they could be waiting longer to get their results than everybody would like them to be waiting.
2: And when there are delays in getting results back, there's not only the personal issue that you mentioned, which is, of course, not being paid Figuring out childcare, like being in a pandemic, isn't already difficult enough. But there's also the public health concern, right? Because not everybody, with those factors, with people being scared of not being able to get paid, a lot of people may not isolate during that time while they're waiting for the test results. So you potentially have someone who's out there who has a positive COVID 19 test but doesn't know it spreading COVID 19.
1: And that's a very big concern. We hear a lot about contact tracing. You know, we find out someone has a positive test and they're supposed to notify other people so that they can get tested or quarantine. And when people don't know if they have a positive result, they might be out in the community still. They may not have symptoms. They may be going about their life as usual. And we want these people to stay home. That's a big part of containing the coronavirus. And without these results coming in promptly, the chance of it spreading that way is much higher.
0: Well, and as you said, it's not, I mean, even if you have the person who's waiting on that test, be doing the responsible thing and isolating. If they don't know they're positive, that contact tracing isn't happening. So those other people they've been in contact with don't know to isolate, even if the original person being tested is doing the right thing, those other people could be out spreading a disease they don't know they have.
1: Yes, that's the exact point that the state was making. The state says if you go to a a state-run test site and you haven't gotten your results within five days to call your local health department because you should be getting them within five days. And I spoke with the National Guard for this story who said, you know, right now, testing in Wisconsin is not outpacing lab capacity. It has in the past. That's not currently the case. But I think we're going to have to watch this closely in the next few weeks because demand is going up as as the number of positive tests go up And I also spoke with a group called the American Clinical Lab Association for this story. They represent a lot of the biggest labs nationwide, like Quest, Exact Sciences, some of the biggest players right now. And they said, you know, nationwide, they are are doing something like 300,000 tests a day, and it's still not enough. They're saying, we can't do it alone. We need a lot of people to step up to try to address these challenges. Labs, manufacturers, public health officials, states, and the federal government. We all have a role to play in addressing these challenges. It's a, a nationwide public health crisis, and they they need help. You know, they're doing as much as they can. They're trying to increase their capacity, and they have in many cases, but it's hard to keep up with demand like this.
2: Well, and taking a step back and looking at the bigger picture, what we've heard over and over from epidemiologists is that the, the keys to opening our economy and making sure they stay open- it well, one masks, but two robust testing, quick results, and contact tracing. So, when someone's waiting 16 days for a test, that doesn't just affect that one person's life or even their immediate circle in terms of the possible spread of the virus. There's an economic impact here, too. Absolutely.
0: I'm wondering, and I don't know if this is this may be its own topic, it may be a whole separate episode, but if It's taking 16, 17 days to get a test result. We hear every day the number of positive tests and what percentage that is of tests that are administered. And it's easy to look at these graphs and these maps and and assume that they refer to a particular point in time. And and we're looking for, well, what might have caused that spike? What might have been going on a week or two before that that might have led to a surge? If the results are coming in 16 days later, is that affecting how these numbers really portray what's going on, because that positive test actually occurred 16 days earlier.
1: And how helpful is that information when you're getting it two weeks later? You could have been exposed in many different ways by the time two weeks have passed. So how important is that snapshot in time? You know, Maybe you can return to work now that you have the result, but it it really doesn't represent where you're at anymore.
2: Well, and uh, to answer your question, Brian, I have a friend who's a reporter in Pennsylvania, and there they have access to when they get the results, there's actually a way they can look up and see when those positive test results are from. So they're being reported on July 2nd, but the positive test result is from April and that's not a, a made up statistic. That's what's happening a lot of the time. So it's not just the delay in the person finding out about the test. There's often in, in many states a delay and then reporting them to the public. So what we're finding out about now could be a positive test from last month. And that's a great point to bring up because it, sometimes it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking we are seeing what's happening in real time by looking at the numbers, but we're not. And I think Jenna's story about this is proof of that.
0: Jenna, before we move on to the next subject, so we got a lot that you've been working on that we want to talk about, but I want to know, do you, for instance, going to these state run sites or these National Guard operated sites, do you need an appointment? Can anyone go and be tested for any reason? Do you have to be showing symptoms? What is the state of that right now?
1: it varies from test site to test site most do require an appointment some require symptoms some require a referral from a doctor others you can just drive right up but those tend to have longer lines and we have seen issues recently with people waiting in line for hours and then not being able to get tested because they ran out of tests so there is high demand for this the best thing is to try to make an appointment but that can take time as well and i think the reason some people turn to some of these Places that have nationwide labs, you know, the CVS, the Walgreens, the Walmart, is because maybe they can get appointments quicker, but then the lag time on getting those results takes longer. So if you have questions, you can contact your local health department. A lot of these locations and resources are listed online. They're very easy to find. There's several of them now throughout you know our area they're available every day of the week but yes you will probably need an appointment and you you should probably be prepared to wait.
2: Jenna, we've talked to you about evictions before when the pandemic hit when people were losing their jobs there was a statewide moratorium on evictions. That moratorium expired on May 27th, but there are still a lot of people who are out of a job or they've been waiting for weeks for unemployment to come through, and that still hasn't happened. So what have we seen when it comes to evictions since that May 27th expiration?
1: You know, it's been really interesting because for 60 days, the state banned landlords from filing evictions for non-payment. And in the month of June, the first full month after the ban was lifted, numbers did go up in eviction filings. So in June in Milwaukee County and statewide, evictions were up more than 20%. And the Wisconsin Apartment Association will say, well, that's actually not that high of an increase when you consider there were two months that you could not evict. And that's true to some extent. And also in July, the numbers are not extremely high for evictions so far. And the reasons for that, are a lot of things that have been happening behind the scenes. There is financial assistance available. There are unemployment benefits that several people have been able to receive, although others still struggle. Landlords are accepting payment plans. They're helping people pursue financial help. And also very importantly, people in public housing still cannot be evicted under the federal CARES Act, but that expires on Friday. So the experts I speak with who help people in these situations say the housing instability issue hasn't gone away. It's actually becoming worse, but there are options available to people right now that aren't always going to be available. So, you know, families are struggling with a state backlog and unemployment benefits, but there is other temporary help. There is some help with rental assistance, although uh, there's a waiting list for some of that uh, statewide Funding that the SDC is handling a wait list of like 27,000 people representing Milwaukee, Ozaukee, and Washington counties all wanting $7 million in rental assistance the state has made available. So the numbers are interesting so far. It seems like some of the steps that have been taken to try to lessen the blow of what's happening are working. Now experts are kind of saying this could be an issue for months, years to come as people start to lose some of the access they've had to help so it sounds like a lot of people are calling various places like impact 211 to ask about rent assistance and not as much about eviction so it seems like a lot of people aren't in imminent danger of being evicted but they are in that stage before it where they're worried about making rent and they know that the assistance isn't going to last forever
0: jenna this was obviously an emergency situation we knew people were losing their jobs uh, in droves when the pandemic first hit. And that's why this moratorium was put in place because it was clear there were people who just weren't going to be able to pay their bills, much less their rent. When that moratorium expired on May 27th, obviously people didn't magically have the ability to pay all of these things again. And you talk about these various forms of assistance to sort of keep that going. It seems like you talked in your story to a landlord uh, uh, who manages hundreds of properties, Sam Stair, and And he talked about payment plans and sort of working with tenants, because I'm guessing for a landlord, you'd rather have a tenant be able to pay than have to go through the expensive process of evicting and then finding a new tenant. It sounds like he is on board with doing that. Are you hearing how that's going? Are a lot of landlords open to these kinds of payment plans to help people get through this as they get back on their feet?
1: Yes, it sounds like a lot of landlords are of a similar mind realizing that it's not going to be easy to fill these units with people that can pay if you evict someone who also is having difficulty paying. So Sam is a, a good example. He said that, you know, we file a lot of evictions. He's filed a number of evictions so far, but he said most of those are going to result in official payment plans. And that's what he's hoping will happen, that they'll make an agreement with the court to set up a payment plan and people will remain in their units for the most part. So i think that's going to happen hopefully with a lot of people Uh, and it, it does sound like landlords in several cases are working with people and they realize the challenge they're facing with getting other people into these units right now we still have the same issues we had in march and april some places are reopening but there still is a lot of unemployment well and
2: with the moratorium on public housing evictions expiring on friday Are we expecting that, Jenna, to be kind of more of a trickle after that, kind of like what we saw um, with the May 27th expiration where we started to see a rise, but it wasn't, you know, through the roof, people being thrown out of their housing? Or is this expected to be a, a sharper increase in eviction issues?
1: It's really hard to predict. I think a lot of people are still receiving help. But these, these funding options aren't going to exist forever. As we mentioned, your $7 million in rental assistance to people in this area sounds like a lot of money. But there is a large waiting list already, as they told me, 27,000 people waiting to get some of that money. And that number is going to grow after this moratorium is lifted on people who are in federal you know, public housing situations. And from from speaking with, you know, the people who represent a lot of people in these difficult situations, people from Legal Aid Society, Illegal Action Wisconsin, they tell me that quite a few people in our community, more than the nationwide average, have subsidized housing in Milwaukee. So there will be quite a few people. And I have been looking through court records from eviction hearings. There have been some evictions filed where they ultimately didn't go forward because it was determined the person Was in public housing and they couldn't evict them at that point, so we'll we'll have to see if at some point this funding is going to run out. A lot of deadlines are coming due, a lot of protections are being lifted, so I I think it might be more of a slow trickle, but we'll have to see how this affects things in the months and years to come. If
2: you're about to lose your house or that you're renting or your apartment what can you do? What resources are available to you, especially given this information about wait lists?
1: Well, thankfully, there's a lot of great organizations in town who can give you really good advice. You can call the Community Advocates. You can call Legal Aid Society, Legal Action Wisconsin, Impact 211. You can call the Social Development Commission. And the good news is it sounds like there is space in emergency shelters right now. You don't want people to have to end up there, but it sounds like They're not overcrowded right now, there is room for some people to go there, but you you hope it doesn't get to that point so hopefully people can call these places, get the advice they need, and work with their landlords because a lot of landlords will say it's just about open communication let me know what's going on let me know your situation and then we can work on something together where you run into problems is often when you're not telling your landlord what's going on and they feel like they have no idea why you're not paying rent so try to keep that communication open especially if you have an understanding landlord
0: Well, Jenna, you have been dealing with some pretty heavy issues, just the ones we've talked about today, the kind of stuff that could drive people to want to drink. And based (laughs) on the sales of alcohol, it seems that's exactly what is happening Uh, from what you've seen. Boy, are people uh, upping their at home alcohol consumption, huh?
1: Well, people are definitely drinking more at home. There are certainly winners and losers when it comes to alcohol sales right now. Obviously, the losers are the bars and the restaurants. But when it comes to what's called off-premise sales, the sales at brick-and-mortar stores, like liquor stores, grocery stores, those numbers are way, way up. And it's interesting to look at how alcohol sales have changed because of the coronavirus, you know, it when we did this story, we looked at numbers for mid June, and alcohol sales at brick and mortar stores nationwide were up twenty six percent overall, and that's actually not the peak of their sales. It was actually earlier. I spoke with uh, one of the managers of an auto store who said, "Our it was like Christmas in March. It was Christmas in April, May, June, July. It just kept being like holiday like sales." And they're happy about it, but they're also a little tired. Um, but spirit sales were up 35% nationwide, uh, wine up 26%, beer up 21%. And people are buying differently. People aren't just going to, into the store right now and they're grabbing one six pack or one bottle of wine, they're buying in bulk. So people are buying boxed wine. They're buying cases of wine, 30 packs, 24 packs of beer, 1.75 liter bottles of spirits. So people are, are drinking at home. They're actually buying alcohol for cheaper and they're buying more of it. Uh, Roundy's said, you know, alcohol sales were up 40% since March. Discount Liquor, a big liquor store in the area, says they're double digit over last year. And Miller uh, or maybe I should say Molson Coors said they stopped making kegs for restaurants and bars, and they can't make 24 packs fast enough. So I think it's I think it's really interesting to look at how people have changed their their buying habits. And I I can't say that you know a lot of uh, breweries are doing better. They're not. I mean their sales across the board are are not what they were. I mean look at Molson Coors. They normally have you know, baseball stadiums to provide for and and Summerfest and all these festivals, and they don't have that right now. But fortunately, these other sales that have increased at these stores have helped offset that, not entirely, but enough. They were really worried at Molson Coors at the beginning of all this, but people stepped it up when they were buying the the big packs of beer.
2: If you're the local brewer in Milwaukee who, you know, is making the double IPAs and the other craft beers. How how are you feeling about these trends right now? Because all of these sound like they might favor the bigger companies.
1: Absolutely. People, when they are buying right now, are sticking with the names they know. There's not a lot of experimentation going on right now, there's no sampling at stores. So the craft brewer, with the exception of Spotted Cow, which maybe they don't qualify as a craft brewer anymore, uh, they're not doing as well. I mean, tap rooms are closed, that's a big part of their their sales the sales at restaurants and bars is a big part of that so the craft brewery that sells a six pack who may be launching some new flavors some new options this summer they're not doing as well what's doing well is you know alcoholic seltzers white claw truly big beer brands uh, you know ready to drink cocktails at one point in the pandemic those were up 92 percent tequila was up 70 percent at one point so the smaller places that do you know uh, the, the craft beers, the cider beers, those aren't doing as well. And I wouldn't say everyone's doing well. I mean, they're still suffering from the lack of other sales. But, you know, thankfully, I don't know. Thankfully, that might be the right word. But for their, their bottom line, it helps that people are buying more for home.
0: Well, you know, I, I look at this and I think, obviously, the pandemic has not stopped people from drinking. They're not drinking less, they're drinking differently. And and that may mean they're drinking a lot more at home because the bars and restaurants have been inaccessible at times or less accessible at, at other times. What surprised you in looking at this though? Did, did you see, were there things that, that you thought, well, we didn't expect that? Or, or would you hear from the the people who obviously survive on, on alcohol sales? What surprised them the most about uh, what they've seen?
1: You know, i don't want to say this surprised me but i just found it really interesting because if you think about the reason people drink right frustration loneliness stress Twins. These things are are in abundance right now. And so it makes sense that people are still drinking and they're drinking at home. And if you talk to people casually, a lot of people joke about drinking more. There have been some studies that have come out and surveys where people say they're drinking more at home than they would be otherwise. But, you know, people are bored and they're stressed and they're lonely. And I think it makes sense that they're they're drinking more at home just to have something to break up the day. or Well, I think different. for a lot of
0: people, it probably replaces the, the socialization, the loss of that, you know, bellying up to the bar. If nothing else, they can they can socialize at home with family or maybe they're doing these Zoom happy hours. I know a lot of people who are doing still regular Zoom happy hours as groups because it's the way to connect with others. And, and for many, alcohol's a part of that.
1: Right. And people are going to bars now. Let's let's not imagine that people aren't, especially in other parts of the state outside Milwaukee County. They are going back to bars. But I think one thing we really wanted to point, point out in our story is, you know, there are positives to drinking at home. It's less expensive. You don't have to drive. But this is a period where you can really form a habit that may be difficult to break. So if you haven't already, it might be a good time to test whether you can stop, you know, Go three, four days without having a drink. See if you can do it without too much difficulty. And if you can, that's a good sign. But this is a period where people are alone. They don't have people monitoring their habits. And you can develop habits without people knowing. And, and we should mention, you know, not to go too much off the dark side of this, but there are issues that can arise with drinking. There can be abuse situations. There can be a lot of issues in the home that can arise from drinking at home more. So we don't want to overlook those either. Well, because when you uh,
2: abuse alcohol for a long enough period of time, it actually, it changes your brain. So some people, you know, it's like you have a sip and you're hooked and other people aren't the type who would be that way. They don't necessarily have some of those traits. But it the more you drink, I mean, it can change the chemistry of your brain over a sustained period of time. And I think at the beginning of this, people were drinking as though this were gonna last a few weeks. <laughs> and <laughs> we're in it for a few months, and this could be a really rough winter. So I, I think it's you're kind of in a in a point in a lot of households where, people are sprinting a marathon when it comes to alcohol, and, and that can be a dangerous situation. Right. I, I and wondered I think if, it's,
1: oh, sorry, Brian, I was just going to say, I think it's never a bad idea to take a step back and analyze what you're doing and whether you're comfortable with that and whether it's healthy for you.
0: I just wondered if with, with all the economic concerns, if there'd been any sort of a, a particular surge in cheap beer, because there has been such a Trend in uh, the beer industry toward craft beers and specialty brews, and 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 I, I remember early in the pandemic seeing people posting pictures of coming home coming home with you know two cases of Miller Lite or or there was one one guy who had a whole. Uh, Uh, You know, his back of his SUV was filled with cases of hams, which I didn't even know anybody drank hams anymore, uh, but certainly not that much hams. Uh, But I just wondered, and I don't know if hams qualifies as a cheap beer. It's certainly not a specialty beer. I just wondered if there'd been any sort of a particular trend in the kinds of alcohol people are consuming because of the cost.
1: Yes, the answer to that is yes. People are buying those familiar brands, which includes Miller Lite, which is cheaper than a craft beer, for example. So yes, people are returning to the names they know, some of the cheaper brands they know, uh, because they're also being cost effective. So you are you hit it on the head. People are are going back to a lot of those cheap beers that they can buy in bulk, and you know it's it's been good for places like Molson Coors. I can tell you that. I I don't think
2: the uh... The stresses of being at home are going away. And as always, Jenna, whenever I talk about feeling stressed, I I feel guilty immediately when the words leave my mouth because you have twin two-year-olds and a four-year-old at home. (laughs) But it will be interesting to see how the way people handle that stress changes because as we get into the winter months, I would expect that we would see different trends in how they do that
1: right i don't know about you guys but i do feel like it's getting harder it, it's getting harder to be at home to not have the socialization every day i'll admit that and you know we're not going back to the station for the while for a while we're all working remotely for the foreseeable future and that's hard you know you have to go out of your way to talk to people and sometimes i just ask my husband can you stay home today so i have <laughs> someone to talk to today um, especially yes we have such a social job we we're talking to each other all day long and now we're all, you know, sitting in our own rooms. So I, I understand it.
0: Being this time of year and being able to still get outside and go for walks regularly, I'm probably walking around the the neighborhood two to three times a day, whether it's with the dogs, with my wife, with the kids, which that's a healthy thing, right? That's good. But then you wonder when it gets to be, uh, you know, 10 below zero with, uh, with, you know, high winds and blizzards, am I really going to be able to get outside? So I, there is that that fear that when the weather turns, as we know it will in Wisconsin, if this is going to be that much more difficult, because you won't have that sort of ability to at least get outside and let off some steam, which I think has been one of the saving graces of this summer, is just the ability to be outdoors.
2: Yeah, the, the dread is definitely setting in. That was a good way to put it
0: well uh, we are of course going to be continuing to bring more of these twice weekly episodes of open record to you as we cover the covid19 pandemic and so much more uh, jenna thank you for joining us we'll have contact six of course back as a part of these episodes from time to time as we go on we know you have a lot of work to do so thanks for taking the time to, to join us on the podcast this morning anytime now if there's a topic you want us to discuss on open record or an issue you think we should investigate. We want you to send us an email, but I have to take a moment to explain something. Uh, we have been sold, our television station has been sold twice in the last, what, six months, guys? Um, maybe maybe not, twice in the last year, I guess. Um, and in that process, there's been, been a lot of technological transition. And so our email accounts have changed. A lot of things have changed. And so we've been telling you to send emails to the investigators at fox.com, which used to be the investigators at fox6now.com. We only discovered very recently that the investigators at fox.com apparently does not exist. We have been sending you to an email address that if you're sending them, I don't know if it's bouncing back to you. I don't know where it's going, but it might be going to a black hole. We do receive messages from people who write in through our website, so we've assumed we were getting all the messages coming our way. It's possible if you have sent emails after listening to Open Record to the investigators at fox.com that... You've sent something we haven't seen. So I'm going to give you a new email address that at least for now we know works. And here we go. So if you have sent us something before, if there's a message you want to send us now, this is it. It is WITI underscore the at fox.com. So WITI underscore the investigators at fox.com. If you have sent us messages in the past and we haven't responded, Our sincerest apologies, this was a recent revelation and we are working to resolve it and see if we can get back to the email address we've been telling you about all along. But for now, send us any messages to WITI underscore the investigators at fox.com.
2: We're not ignoring you, we promise to the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't done that already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you leave a review there, we will for sure see it. So maybe that's a for sure way to get your comment in there if we continue to have email problems. I don't know. Thank you for listening. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire. And for Brian Polson, we will be back with our next regularly scheduled episode on Tuesday.